0: Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast, brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland.
1: Ahoy, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the World of Speakers. But today is a very special episode because I'm here with a friend and we are going to celebrate the 100th episode anniversary of World of Speakers. Cue the poppers. Boo, 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 choo, boo. Very special guest. We should have some Yacht Rock music here. This is like... Oh my God, we need Yacht Rock for sure.
0: We should have some proper music. We need to do that in post, maybe. <laughs>
1: Well, if you don't recognize that voice and that melodic accent, that is none other than James Taylor. He is a keynote speaker on Creativity, Innovation, and Artificial Intelligence. And I could not think of a better person to bring back to the show to talk about really what we are going through as speakers. We are the Byronic heroes of this crazy journey that we've all been on from the inception of this podcast. I mean, really, you look at the last few years. And so, James, I'm excited to just have a conversation about where we've been, where we're
0: at now, where we're going in the future. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ryan. It's a great honor for me to be on your 100th episode. And congratulations to you because I know how much work goes into doing podcasts. And uh, you know that consistency that goes in is great. So I commend you for doing this work. Well, thank you. It's been a labor of love. And
1: I mean, it actually, the genesis was off of a TEDx Los Angeles project. You might not know the history. This is an interesting history of the show. I got my my camcorder, I got my microphone, and I hit the streets in LA. And my goal was to interview people with one simple question. Put the microphone in front of them and say, what is your voice? It was really interesting to see what came out. I think I interviewed 386 different people of all walks of life driving around to LA in these different areas. And it was a fantastic experience to see what people thought their voice meant. And it was 386 different answers. And so I had sort of digested all of those interviews. I smashed them all into one single audio track. And then I developed a speech that I gave over the audio track as it was in the backdrop at a TEDx LA salon event. And it was one of the most inception powerful moments ever because I was using my voice to talk about the power of voice while I had 387 voices going behind me And I think I even got a little emotional at the end of it. And it just made me realize the power of people's voice. So it was called the City of Speakers. And I was just going to focus on LA. And then I talked with Andreas and I was working with him with with Speaker Hub. And he wanted to start a podcast. So I'm like, well, I'm going to do this City of Speakers. But maybe we can make it a world of speakers. There it was born. Here we are. uh, I almost want to say 100 (laughs) years later. But it's a hundred episodes later, so it's fun to see where it started.
0: What's great as well, you know, it kind of also brings it to the the, the global side. And so, I was reading an article recently about uh, journalism, travel journalism specifically, and a lot of people were saying, "Well, travel journalism's dead because you can go on Google Maps to anywhere in the world, and see anything, and we have like YouTube now, so we can visually see to kind of get that experience." And what this writer was saying, really, that the power of travel journalism now is that ability that you get to go to places and hear other people's stories. And if you have that ability and that great honor that we have as as speakers to sometimes share some of their stories on stages as well. And when you suddenly think of that, you think, well, there's like 7 billion people in the world. Every single person has a story. Now it doesn't say every single person wants to get up on a stage and share that story, (laughs) but that's kind of what we do. You know, we're storytellers and we go out and find all these stories and, and share them and and that's the great thing about uh, hopefully, as the world starts to reopen again, we get to travel and meet people again.
1: Well, let's, you know, it's funny you talk about stories because for the last 99 episodes, I have asked people to start the show with a story that shapes them. It's really the genesis of how we get to know our guests. And if you notice, for the, our longtime listeners, I never start with a bio, I never just read off accolades because sometimes it just, it just feels a bit promotional and it feels like, okay, okay, we got it. But I've always found with these little vignette stories of people from their lives, like sometimes I learn more about them in that few minutes than anything I could have found because there's so much involved with that. So in true fashion for the hundredth time, <laughs> is there a story that comes to mind that shaped you? Something that we could get to know you a little bit more and maybe some insights into how you see the world of speaking.
0: It's a story that, I was having a conversation last week with Michael Bungay Stania, who's, who's a great speaker from Canada, who wrote a, a wonderful, very successful million-selling book called The Coaching Habit. And we were having this conversation about, you know, speakers that we'd we'd liked over the years, we've seen. And somehow we got talking about a speaker that I remember seeing probably when I was 14 years of age. I remember going to some type of event, I think it was an education-related event. And I was just there as you know, as a student in, in the audience. And this speaker got up there on stage. And he kind of like kind of wandered on stage and he almost looked like an old professor that you'd see at Cambridge or Oxford or some kind of like, you know, Harry Potter type movie. And he kind of amb- he ambled on very quiet. And then he sat down on a stool and he proceeded to talk, to, to give this speech. And there was no fireworks. This was no Tony Robbins type of experience. But his stories and the way that he communicated with that audience were amazing were incredible and one of the things and this was a uh, remember sitting there at that point I like, imagine if that was your job to go on stages to kind of there's a performance side to that but also to go and share stories to help people to hopefully make the world a better place and in his case his name was edward de bono and he was a uh, probably one of the greatest thinkers on creativity unfortunately we lost him last year and i remember there was a couple of things i noticed one was that this is amazing. Creativity. I'm really inspired by listening to this person speak about this topic. But the second thing I noticed was a more of a technical thing, I guess, was that he stood up there and he had next to him an, a projector, an old fashioned overhead projector. I don't know, Ryan, you're probably too young to remember those in college.
1: <laughs> no, I remember those. I, I So my parents are both principals and there was one of them that ended up at my house and I would love as a kid. To draw and see it projected up on the wall, so
0: I'm with you on that for sure. You know exactly, you yeah, know those pens, those so these yeah. overhead and the acetates, these with the things that, and so what he was doing is as he was speaking, he was doodling on this acetate on the this overhead projector, and so it might be like symbols or shapes or things, arrows and all kinds of stuff, kind of basically doing a type of mind mapping, and this was being projected to the two and a half thousand people in the audience. At that point, I suddenly thought, wow. Stories make people listen, but visuals make people remember. Mm. And I remember thinking about this. I think if ever i become a speaker or was speaking on stage, I want to be able to use visuals. And then fast forward, and I'm speaking on stages in person, and you kind of use PowerPoint, and you can kind of do some cool things, but, uh, well, it's not quite there. And then what was amazing is when the pandemic happened and we all switched fully to virtual, there's tools out there where I can basically do the same is what he did. I could do like a, almost like a whiteboard, which is part of my screen, and I'd be sitting there with my iPad and drawing on it and talking and sharing this stuff and taking feedback from the audience and putting it up and seeing it. And I think I'm basically doing an Edward de Bono, albeit with more modern tools. And so that was a story in terms of got me inspired about this idea of speaking, communicating, storytelling, but also that technical aspect about understanding the power of visuals.
1: You know, what resonates there is what is old is always new. And it really, you know, as we look back for what's been going on the last three years and we identify what's happening now and in the future, it's interesting to see how the messaging of how we communicate is changing with technology. But there's always some component that helps to complement the talk.
0: Well, I mean, one of the things I sometimes think of is if you're brand new into speaking when it comes to some of the craft, there's some things which are evergreen. But, you know, a lot of things which may be the business or some of the technical things, frankly, don't listen to someone <laughs> who's been doing it for a while. It's not really going to, some things will help in terms of basic craft things, which are real, really evergreen. But a lot of stuff doesn't. I'll give you an example. I was, I'd been just, I'd gone through a, end of last year, done a, just a ton of virtual keynotes. And one of the things that I was experimenting was... How often I would be moving, doing transitions, like from video to images to different things. And normally, if I were doing an in-person, if I'm using PowerPoint, I would maybe do one every two minutes or so. When it comes to virtual, I was probably doing one every minute, maybe even less at times. And what was interesting, I thought I did an event in end of last year in in Kiev, in Ukraine. So this is an in-person event. It's going to be about 700 people there. And there's a couple of other speakers, really good speakers on it. And I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to experiment with something. I'm going to rather than go back to my usual pacing of an in-person, I'm going to stay in virtual pacing time because people have got so into that. And I wanted to see how it feels on stage, what the audience feels. And it was great because there was a speaker before me who did exactly the same thing. (laughs) And he was really good. I've forgotten his name now. He's from Belgium. And he's done a ton of virtuals the past two years. And he kind of got in this way, and it was great. It was, like, really sharp, really sharp. And then I went up, and I kind of did that similar kind of thing as well, quick transitions, a lot of video, a lot of moving moving parts, still using blocking, stage blocking, and traditional techniques as well. And then there was a speaker that came, I think, after a little bit later in the day, and he was doing the more traditional side, and it felt so slow. And there's nothing wrong about not doing any visuals or going slower with things, but in today's TikTok kind of world, you just have to put a little bit more. You have to really use pacing and timing a little bit kind of smarter. So I would say if you're a new speaker getting into it, there's some classic things that you can do which are going to stand the test of time. You know, pausing before you land a big line, pausing afterwards to so let people digest digested. Those, those are the, cl- you know, these kind of classic things, blocking how you use a stage. But some of the other things really, Frankly, you're as well prepared as anyone else just now because you're coming at it fresh. So I think that's that hopefully gives people a little bit of confidence as well.
1: For those people who are they haven't really invested or they don't know what to do for their technical setup, what would you say to them? And my experience, just like you, is that I had to make that full digital transition. So investigated the green screen concept. I've got the A10 Mini Pro. So I've got multiple camera inputs, I've got all
0: these things. But it took me a long time to figure that out. Well, here's the good news. I did a lot of what you did, Ryan. I started doing virtual, you know, it's really right from the start. So I started really speaking late 2017, really 2018. So rel- relatively new, I'd be on stages a lot before that, but first time in terms of being a professional speaker. And I started doing quite a lot of virtuals from the start. I'm not quite sure why. I think it was because there was a number of American clients I was working with and I couldn't necessarily be there. So we ended up doing them virtually. So I kind of set up a home studio, and it was all everything you would want: great lighting, really great cameras, great lenses. You mentioned a10 mini, got one of those. Did all all the fancy stuff, like two thousand dollar microphones, you know. And then the further you, I got into it, and I was like, actually, what can I remove from this? Because in the heat of the moment, at times, unless you really know everything and really know where you feel very comfortable. It's just another thing you've got thinking. So, for example, now I would say, oh, a speaker would really need is something like an Ecamm Live, which is a piece of software I'm running on just now, and a camera. And if you don't have the benefit of living in Southern California, where you always have such lovely light, then get some nice lights and even a nice ring light. And that's pretty it. You know, that's pretty much it. It's not that much more complicated. My setup's a little bit fancier because often I'll have multiple cameras I'm doing an event in a few hours' time, which is actually, uh, look, sometimes I'll do um, kind of virtual MC things for for clients. They might have what's called uh, client advisory boards where they'll bring their top clients together, very private, intimate thing. And so I've done keynote things for them before. And in this case, I'm kind of almost like a master of ceremonies for them or host for them. And in that case, I have auto cue. So I'm running a teleprompter. And I have that set up here with all those things. But for most of the time, you don't need any of that stuff because most of the time, really, something as simple as Ecamm Live, a nice, even a great webcam. They're so amazing now and some good lighting. And you're ready to rock and roll. It's so much easier now because everyone's kind of caught up on a lot of the, the technology.
1: Now, one of the things that I've utilized is the chat. I make sure that it's interactive, I strategically warm them up and I get them to trust me and then I cue them and then they, I you know I bring people up in the spotlight and and I'm really working the room essentially. Maybe you can speak to some of the ways that you're engaging your audience that you found work so it's not just a screen to a whole bunch yeah. of other screens.
0: A lot of it depends on the platform that the client wants to use and so I'm kind of platform agnostic. If they say we're on Teams, we're on Zoom, whatever the thing is, it might have a, a kind of a specialized system. So that's the first thing is you you kind of think, okay, what can I do within that particular tool? We're doing this on Zoom just now. So Zoom is great because it's got lots of, it's not perfect. There's things I would love to have in it, but it's got lots of tools. So you mentioned obviously um, you know, the chat, the, the hand raise functions, so people can come on camera, ask questions, breakout rooms is obviously the is the big one that you're using. So all that stuff pretty much everyone's kind of doing and they're trying. I think actually what's In some ways, more interesting is when you use these things, not necessarily what you're using. So this is a a decision you have to make. Like I'm doing one on Friday for a client in Texas, an event. And it's a little bit of a virtual. And it's a little bit, initially, they wanted me to deliver more of a workshop so I can start preparing stuff for a workshop. And I said, actually, James, could you make it a little bit of a mixture between a keynote and a workshop? So if anyone's got a good name for key shop key shop
1: yeah 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 a shop node or uh
0: <laughs> exactly <work node. laughs> so you're thinking about i think okay so there's the keynote traditional bits which tends to be a bit more transmitting a bit more transmitting but there is a little bit of interaction workshops much more interactive so then you have a decision to make which got to do more with energy and flow for the presentation because. For example, I could be thinking, okay, maybe I'll do some things at the start because I want a level of a certain level of interaction. I'm also doing it from a psychological perspective because I want them to do a couple of things first to almost kind of buy in. So it's like the classic sales thing—you get people to say yes a couple yes. of times. You do, you do you do virtual versions of those, and then you have a decision to make. Well, do you want to do some of these, especially breakout rooms, halfway through your one hour? There's some benefits to that. It breaks up in terms of gets people interacting in that way but it can also break the flow of things as well. It gets people, their the heads move to a different place. And it's not one is right or wrong, but you kind of have to think about, well, what is the objective of this client? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to achieve? How does it sit in with everything else? So in this case, I've decided that I will actually do more traditional keynote style for the first 30 minutes. And then we'll go into two, possibly three kind of breakouts. One will be very quick, very short, interesting pairs. Then I'll bring them back in. We'll talk about observations from that. I'll share another tool. In this case, it's a creative thinking tools. I'm doing. We'll move them to a slightly bigger group, and then we bring them back in. And then there's another thing that we do as well, because one of the objectives for that client is this is a merger of two businesses that are coming together. So they want people mixing and mingling. So you've kind of got that in your head. So you're doing all of these different things, and you're trying to add the flow. So there's no right or way, wrong way to do this. It just comes from kind of experience, kind of knowing, well, that works well. It's like I used to be in, in bands and, and many years ago. And as a musician, you tend to find very quickly, are uh, these three songs work really well together. So they almost go, or these two songs always go work well. Or if I put this and that reaches the height of that part of the of the show, then I know that I want to go for that real quiet number, drop it back down again. And this is when we're just talking about show dynamics or keynote dynamics as well but you only get good at this stuff by doing it there's no you know there's that wonderful austin cleon phrase thing they said which a lot of people want to be the noun without being the verb <laughs> without, without doing the verb a lot of people want to be the noun without doing the verb which i love so a lot of people want to be speakers but you know, without speaking you know, lot, you know a lot of people want to be sales people without selling it is all people want to be writers without writing you have to do it you just have to get in there and get get your hands dirty
1: It also sounds like the old Hollywood conundrum that you need the experience to get the job, but you need the job to get the experience. Yeah. Speaking of experience, for those who are trying to gain more experience, maybe they're not at a point where they're getting that traditional keynote or an actual engagement. I want to get a gauge of what you see as far as the right types of timing for some of these low pay or free paid opportunities, because what I'm finding is there's more opportunity than ever. You obviously have to pick and choose what makes sense for you and your brand. But oftentimes I find that the ones that are free or that they're not charging for, there's an opportunity for you to, to say, I'm going
0: to give this length. Well, a couple of things. One is it depends on the time of day that you're delivering it and the audience. If it, let's say, I mean, I don't, don't speak for free, I don't waive my fees on things, with a very, very rare exception if it's a non-profit that I, you know, we, we support, we support a lot of animal charities and things like that. So if it's something like that, then no problem. Or if it was a, lo- a local school, let's say they wanted to bring in, you know, I don't have a problem with that. But for everyone else, it's a business. We're in the, the speaking business here. So for that, if I was speaking and I was waiving my fee, not speaking for free, just was waiving my fee. I would be asking, if it was a conference, I would be asking to get the slot just before the coffee break because that gives you that golden 15, 30 minutes to go out there, hustle, and go, go out with the cars and meet people. If you get the, the 2 p.m. slot, that's a hard, unless you're also a magician as well <laughs> or something. You know, Everyone's energy tends to be a little bit lower. It's a, so it's not so much the, the length of the time, but it's more the where you sit. I mean, I personally love doing mornings just after maybe the CEO has spoken or after the main one of the maybe the main people from the company has spoken. And then I get up, do my thing, and then we take a coffee break, and then I'm having conversations with people. And I love that slot. Or you could do end of the day. There's some speakers who really specialize in being closing keynote speakers, other ones that are a bit more kind of opening because there's different demands there. So that's the first thing I'll say. It's almost like the time of day is as important as you know how long you're doing it for. The other one I would say is, and I was actually just thinking about this morning, was everyone's style is a little bit different. My style in terms of how I work with clients is they're coming to me and I'm giving them a tailor-made suit. Uh, that's funny. I like that. <laughs> it's true. I'm not giving them, you know, you can go to Nordstrom and get an off-the-peg kind of suit or jacket or dress or something like that. You can get kind of made-to-measure or customized as well, or you can get a proper tailor-made suit. Now, you do them for different things, and they're going to have different pricing involved. If you're just going into a place that, in the shop, you see that jacket or that dress there, it's made. There's some creativity that's gone into making that piece of clothing, but it's what we call uh, creativity of certainty. You know exactly what it's going to look like. You can even put it on, see how it looks on the thing, and it's fine. With a keynote, if you have a a really great 15-minute, 20-minute prepared thing, and it's pretty much really solid, you would go on that. And that might have one type of pricing if you wanted to do it that way. I never do those because I get bored too easily to do those types of presentations. So my preference is to do more tailor-made where... What I do with a client is we do multiple pre-event calls usually. I ask them to fill in uh, surveys I I need to know so I can understand who the audience is. I will often with some clients sign NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, because I want to know what is the cutting edge of the technology that they're working on. Even the people in the audience probably don't know that that company is working on that point. So you have to sign NDAs. So I'm crafting this tailor-made presentation for them. There'll be stories that I've never given before. I might just give it for that one particular event or these one series of examples. Now, if you do that, you're doing what's called creativity of risk. So you are going, as a client, you are going on a journey with me. We are co-creating this. I am not the only creator of this keynote. You are creating it with me in that journey. Some clients love that. Some clients want to have that experience, to feel that they're actively involved in creating something and they know when I hit the stage almost exactly what I'm going to say because we've walked it through with them. They know that point. They know where I'm going to hit certain things. They've maybe thought about even like on the desks, on the tables, there's things on the tables that relate to the speech because they've been involved in that process. If you go and buy a tailor-made suit from Savile Row, it's going to cost you $5,000 as opposed to if you go and buy a jacket off the rack, which is $100. Not that one is better than the other, but they just require a different amount of time to prepare and to kind of deliver as well. So think about yourself. Where do you want to sit? Do you want to be that high volume? You know, it's Nordstrom, if you're in America or TK Maxx, where you're just like just putting you know volume. And I know speakers, that that's what they're on is volume. Or do you want to do fewer dates and be more tailor-made for that client? And maybe your salary, your fee is going to be a bit more, a bit higher than the other way.
1: Hashtag James TaylorMade. You should. It should be a TM. <laughs> the J, not a TaylorMade, but a James TaylorMade. I like that. So I want to jump into your thoughts on 5G, the Metaverse, NFT, Web3, because we're really on the cusp of that right now, and this is a newer conversation. I would say 98 of the last 100 episodes, we weren't talking about all of that because it just wasn't in our minds. So. Talk to me about your thoughts. Are you bullish on this? Are you bearish on this? What should we expect from a speaking perspective?
0: Yeah, it was interesting. I had an inquiry in this month from a client offering to pay me for an event in, I think it was in San Diego, in Ether, in Ethereum. So I have Ether and, and like a Bitcoin, another cryptocurrency. And so you start to see things like that coming through in the, on the payment side. NFTs, I find really interesting as a creator. I think it's we're still in that kind of little bit of a... The hype cycle thing is kind of going on with it, and I want to see how it develops and, and where it goes to. I think there's a lot of really bad art being created <laughs> with NFTs just now, but it's a thing. Everyone's trying, everyone's experimenting, and that's that's kind of what it is. Metaverse, I'm very interested in, and uh, I was doing an event not so long ago, and one of the speakers that they had actually just after another part of that event was a speaker called uh, Kathy Hackle from America, who is like probably the best speaker on the Metaverse.
1: As in on the topic of, or actually?
0: On the topic. Okay. (laughs) On the topic. She is like fantastic, and she's great. And so I'm seeing lots of new speakers who are not, you wouldn't think of necessarily as professionals. They're probably not going to be members of a speaker's association, but they have deep domain expertise on this thing. And so Metaverse, I'm very interested in. I'm actually, I got a call last week. I do another, a co-keynote program with myself and Alison Burns, who's, You've met, we had dinner together, my wife, who's a jazz singer, but also a lawyer. And she has a real passion about sustainability and ethics. So we have this program called the Ethical Futurists, where the two of us are kind of doing this co-keynote together. So I got a call from a client last week saying, we're interested in bringing you to speak at this conference that we're doing. Uh, It's a company, they make uh, ingredients like chemicals for different products, but we're trying to make this a really low carbon event. Hmm. So I said, okay. Okay. Let's get creative on this. What about if rather than me and Alison flying to, I think it was Amsterdam, this event, rather than us flying over to Amsterdam, what about if we did it as holograms instead? So that just requires us to get in our car, which is an EV, electric car, a Tesla. So there's no (laughs) that's gonna pretty low carbon there. And we drive to a studio and we go into this room and we are basically we give our presentation and we are then projected onto that stage in Amsterdam. And it's live, so people can ask questions. There's very low, low uh, latency rates on it as well. And that's kind of interesting. I think that's almost like the bridge into the metaverse space. I think where that kind of goes next is that, you know, we go to that kind of ready player one type of world. If anyone checks that movie, I remember reading the book a couple of years ago, and then it's great seeing the movie, if people check out the movie. I think we're partly moving to that but once again, it kind of depends on your audience. You know, if you're a speaker who speaks on a topic which would work really well for kind of broad audiences or kind of entrepreneurial tech audience, if you're Gary V, for example, absolutely makes total sense. A lot of my audiences I speak to are smaller rooms, 150, 200 senior people. These are people that read, you know, the Financial Times, The Economist. They actually value coming to events for the networking. As well, and until we kind of really get on the metaverse, kind of get that bit sorted, and having deep conversations over dinner, over some drinks, or whatever else, I still think there'll be there might be a differentiation of the type of events you'll see on in the metaverse. Interesting,
1: yeah. I think it's a really exciting space to explore, and I'm one to learn by doing. So I'm playing around with NFTs, you know, me and my stick figures. So one thing I'm excited at is that you know I illustrate all my keynotes with stick figures. And so one of my ideas is taking a lot of that artwork, turning those a piece of art that represents what you get from the keynote. And then the utility behind that keynote is what actually allows you to hire me through the smart contract and things like that. It's just a fun excuse to look at how to incorporate.
0: And I think the other interesting things about NFTs is this collaborative nature that you can have in terms of the, the editability. So one of the things I've always thought about is, when I design a keynote or a pre- some type of presentation or any piece of content, really, I want someone to take that and I want them to add to it. I don't want it just to just kind of go out and say, well, be user. that's that's fine. I want them to look like, and maybe this is the musician in me, is I want someone to listen to that track and go, ah, oh, that's great. I want to sample that, take that little bit and put it into my own thing and then add this new thing on. With the NFTs, you can kind of do that because it has that nature to it. So that's the bit... I'm personally really excited about. I'm not, as a pure distribution method, it doesn't excite me that much, but as a way to potentially collaborate and to co-create, I'm very excited about that.
1: Very cool. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next hundred years. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) But who knows? This could be the clubhouse of 2022, We're not going to be talking about it in 2023. Right, where everybody's on it, and then all of a sudden they're not. And now they're sort of on
1: Twitter spaces, and then they're sort of not. But it is interesting to see these different digital channels where everybody's jumping to and the audio channels or platforms audio specific, really give a chance to flex your speaking skills without the pressure of being on camera. And it's, it's interesting to see the hopscotch, I guess that's happening.
0: Yeah. And I love hearing different voices, especially if someone's not a, a native English speaker and there's something quite, and then they speak in English. There's something quite nice about that. I quite like hearing that difference. And this was something that. uh Sylvie DiGiusto, I think it was, no, maybe it wasn't Sylvie. Maybe it was uh, Heather Hansen, who's a speaker from Sydney, Singapore. She said something very interesting. She said 95% of conversations, business conversations that are in English are between people that English isn't their first language. Mm. So this is a really important point. And I would say that I foul of this. And I think a lot of American, uh, North American speakers foul of this when we travel abroad and we speak abroad because we're so used to the English language and speaking in the English language. The find I think it was Sylvie who said this, is that when she first came to America, because her English is English, but obviously with this, the German she speaks great English, but German what you tend to find is if English isn't your first language, you're a little bit, you use less words, less floweriness. You're a bit more direct. So therefore, it can generally be understood by more people. So one of the things I find, and this is, I would say, especially British speakers, we're really bad at this, because we're so focused, or Irish speakers, we're so, we're so comfortable in the language that we're speaking. When we go up on stage, and if you're speaking to an audience in Kiev or Tbilisi or, or some other place, the English isn't the first language, you kind of have to stop, pause a little bit, and you have to think, I can't use that series of words, or that those phrases like that, because... They're just going to get in the way of the message that I'm trying to deliver. So if English isn't your first language, if you're from India, Pakistan, if you're from Ecuador and you're getting into speaking, thinking you have a disadvantage because you're not English isn't your first language. Don't. I would argue you possibly have an advantage over us, the native speakers. That's interesting. That's great. Well, let's
1: transition into what maybe we can look forward to from a speaking business building perspective with really understanding where we've been, where we're at, where we're going to go. Things have obviously changed. Maybe you can share some of the things that have changed the most that stick out. And then we can talk about some of the tried, true, tested things that are still working for you.
0: Yeah. So 2019, I gave, I think, 52, 53 keynotes in 25 countries. A lot of planes, about 300,000 air miles in that year. 2020, I think I gave... 40 keynotes as well, but obviously in one place. I didn't go anywhere. Right. 2021, I did probably maybe 75, 80 keynotes and went to three countries. And so now this year, and we're now recording this in 2022, there's an interesting series of decisions I think every speaker has to make now. Because you now have this new product line called virtual, and you're now thinking, Okay, if I take that virtual, it means I can't necessarily go and give that in person. Or if I give that in person, it means I can do that virtual because I want to be back at my studio with my, my, my own setup. So we're now thinking in terms of opportunity costs. And this may not feel like this right now as we're recording this because things are just still starting to get back. But I guarantee you, come the second half of this year, you will be thinking, if you're a speaker, an active professional speaker, do I want to take that gig? That gig that's maybe piece a little bit maybe. Pays 30% less because it's a virtual, because that's a a day I think I could probably get an in-person. So that's going to be an interesting. That's a little bit of a, a difference. I think in some of the other things, the classics, you know, what hasn't stayed the same on the business, I would still say it's thinking about your lead sources, what they are, and really kind of drilling down into those lead sources and being pretty kind of relentless on that, tracking your numbers. We track all of our numbers in terms of numbers of inquiries, leads, outbound gigs, you know, average fee per engagement. So we're always kind of tracking that. And so I think if you keep your focus on those numbers, what you will probably find is, as we come in, Philip further into you, you might start seeing a little bit more inquiries coming in from event companies again, as they start doing in person, maybe you've been doing quite a lot of stuff for direct for companies or with bureaus for, you know, for corporate clients. You're going to start seeing probably more of those association events start to come back, more of the um what we call uh incentive trips, you know, where they take a group to Thailand, for example, to go and have a, a weekend. and they'll bring in a guest speaker to speak at it. So I think we'll start seeing some of those. You know, in terms of lead sources, pretty much have stayed the same. The blend might be a little bit different. So you have referrals from maybe previous engagements you've done, someone's seen you, and then they refer you to do another event. That's been very difficult if you started. Your speaking career during the time of virtual, referrals are a a little bit more difficult because you don't get to have that hang time with the client, which is sometimes a bit of a problem. But you know, that referrals will start coming back. SEO is an evergreen one, and we invest a lot of money in SEO and focusing on our SEO efforts. PPC, well, we kind of dropped a lot of our pay-per-click ads when the pandemic happened because we just couldn't get the return that we could get if we we're doing in-person where you're getting slightly higher fees than virtual. But we're now kind of ramping that back up again. Bureau, you know the Bureau channel, who knows what's going on with them? I don't know if you've noticed this, Ryan, but I get a lot more kind of autoresponders coming back. This person no longer works here from a lot of bureaus. So I think they're really trying to find their, their feet. And my sense is there'll be a little bit of a... In fact, I'm already seeing this there might be a little bit of a consolidation going on within the bureau industry. So that'll be interesting to see where, where that goes. Social media another lead source. I personally don't, you, I don't think of, I mean, I think we calculated it one year and I think we got 3% of our bookings from social media. It was a very low number. However, outbound using social media things like LinkedIn, which I can think of that type of social media that's still really valid, even more valid now. And and then your outbound campaigns. And we run different types of outbound campaigns. So they're just a couple of lead sources. And I don't think they're really going to change significantly, certainly over the next kind of couple of years. So I would be deciding what your lead sources are and, and really configuring kind of out how do I need to be relevant today? And that's before we even get on the topic of the actual content.
1: Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about your content marketing, how that's working, because I know you're creating a lot of content. You're writing regularly in Forbes. I enjoy your newsletters. You have your whole support system for speakers as well, but is there a certain type of content that you feel you're creating that you're getting the maximum out of? Whether it's articles, are you on the podcast syndic podcast syndicate things like that? Well, present podcasts excluded, of course.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I do. We have a podcast. We have two podcast shows. I do. I do a live stream every week with myself and a speaker bureau agent, Maria Franzoni, and we're constantly putting out new content, videos, and other, in short form uh, TikToks, all these kind of things here's the thing, I could stop all of that tomorrow. And I believe it would have no impact whatsoever on my inbound inquiries. Okay, share a little bit more about that. Okay. So if I was really wanting to be a speaker who did a podcast, let's say, and podcast, as we know, incredibly competitive now, all I would do is I would just go and interview my clients or prospective clients. That's all I would do. But that's kind of boring because I speak on creativity and I'm interested in lots of wide areas. So, for example, last week I had in the show the CEO of Cirque du Soleil, a really interesting perspective in terms of how teams. This week, I think we've got on a woman who is Julia Hobsbawm, who's like probably one of the leading thinkers in remote work. Next week, I think we have on Sebastian Malaby, who writes for the Washington Post, who is one of the top thinkers and did an amazing book about venture capital. That doesn't make any sense. From a content perspective but here's the thing it keeps me learning Mm. it keeps me interested and loads of people listen to the shows but not necessarily the people that are ever going to pay me to give a speech if i had other products if i had courses i could monetize it that's so much easier and i don't really have anything specifically for those audiences when i come up with books then there'll be books and, and things so here's the thing if you're a speaker frankly, you don't have to do any content marketing at this stage. You can just get super hardcore focused on outbound sales, SEO, PPC, just stick to those, don't do any content. If you want to be an interesting person and be and have content for your speeches and your presentations, then podcasts are amazing because like you are coming. this, you, you know, I have a comment, I learned something new from you, maybe you learned something from me. Fantastic, amazing. And so I might use something of that in a presentation. So where we use content is new ideas, finding new things I can potentially use for the content in my keynotes or presentations. But the other thing that it does is a little bit further in the funnel. So let's say if I'm having an inquiry from a, let's say, who would be a good example? like um, Maybe it was a VC firm, like someone at Sequoia Capital contacts me. James, we're doing an offsite. We're interested in maybe bringing you in to speak. I've got a perfect thing to go back to say, oh, actually we I just did an interview, you know, a couple months back with this guy, and he wrote the book on let me share you that with me. And it's me interviewing him. It's not him interviewing me in this podcast, but it shows I'm kind of connected with it as well. The one I would say, and then the other thing you tend to find is when you go and speak on stages, I often will mention my podcast and then you'll get a lot of follows and a lot of people listening to the podcast after that. Who are in the audience. They're not the buyer, they're not the person that's giving you the check or sending you the money, but they're in the audience. And so they be part of your community, part of your network as a result. And then the one bit of content I find has probably the highest value for us. And I'm amazed at how few speakers do this. And I think this is a hugely underutilized, and I learned it from the, the SaaS industry and the, the enterprise business clients I have, is case studies. Mm. how often does a speaker, once they've spoken for a client, go and say, listen, I'd like to do a case study, a really in-depth case study with you on on why you brought me in, first of all, to speak and what your challenge was, the conversations that we went back and forth, how we designed that presentation together, what the results were. I'd like to follow up you know, a couple of months later, see what you actually implemented. Was there a dollar amount on that in terms of how that improved? I'd love a testimonial from you as well. And so what we do is every week we create a new case study. So this week, it was Intuit, one of my clients the, who make um, TurboTax, one of the software and products. Last week, it was for a private bank. The week before that, it was for a law firm in the UK. Where these are great pieces of content is that when you get an inquiry, let's say tomorrow you get an inquiry from a, a company in the healthcare space making medical devices, you say, oh, that's great. Yeah, you know, I actually just did this work for these three other medical device companies. Let me send you the case studies for these. Or maybe they say, oh, You've got this particular challenge. I just worked for a, one of the big banks. I had exactly the same challenge as your company. Let me send you that case study as well. Then these things are gold. So these things help you improve your conversion rate. They don't drive in traffic at the front end.
1: Well, I think everybody's writing that note down, and they're all going to figure that out. Are these case studies something that you keep internal, and then you share to the companies, or are these also public facing that everybody can access?
0: You can go on my website. You can go to JamesTaylor.me. Go to my website, and there's a thing at the top. there. I think it says clients drop down, and we actually segment them by industry. So you can view all the ones by a certain industry or audience type. So whether it was primarily uh, like maybe a marketers that were in the room or lawyers or whatever the thing is. So you can go and see them publicly. And then the other thing that we do is all the bureau partners we work with, we give them their own kit of case studies with their branding on it. So this is going to be going to have like 40 case studies. The problem that you have to find with bureaus, though, is you then have to educate the bureau agent on what's actually in there, because there's so much in there. So you have to say, listen, and they'll come to me, James, You know, we've got this client, You know, which of the case studies do you think is the best one? I'll just share this one, share that Cisco one, for example. So that takes a little bit of time, but these are really invaluable. But you wouldn't see me kind of promoting these on social media or anything, but they're all there. Well, I think you have outlined
1: a very creative yet practical approach. And I think that the combination of finding things that have traditionally worked with looking at new opportunities to look at things differently, that is the magic formula for the future. Whether it's giving a co-keynote, whether it's looking at sustainability, whether it's looking at being a hologram, whether it's something as old school as a case study, all the way to just investing in your setup so that you're giving yourself those tools and you know incorporating all these different things. Well, James, if somebody does want to learn more or connect with you or hire you or work with you, you mentioned your website. Is that the best way to connect? How can people get a hold of you so that they can get a piece?
0: Yeah. So if you're just interested in my kind of podcasts and all the, the, the speaking side of what I do, just go to jamestaylor.me, M-E. And if you're interested in learning about how to kind of do the stuff that I do and be a professional speaker, then we actually have a separate academy we created for that called speakersu.com. Just go to speakersyou.com. And that has a whole bunch of free training and a little bit about our program as well. Well, on
1: behalf of Speaker Hub, who powers this crazy adventure that we've had for 100 episodes, you've always been a great supporter of Speaker Hub. And I think you're you know, one of those sort of founding members who've helped to guide it along. And so it's just exciting to bring you back. It's crazy to have the 100th episode essentially almost in the bag. But if I look back, the thing that I've enjoyed the most is, as you said, meeting new people, keeping the ideas fresh. And I think that speaking, like sailing, is something I'm so interested in because you can learn how to do it relatively easily. But to master it fully can take an entire lifetime. And it's through advice of people like you and the 99 other guests that have really helped me to create a foundation where I can take those pieces of information, get creative and blend it into the thing that I'm doing. James, any final encouraging words for people who have struggled through this recent past And as
0: we're looking into the future, what do you see for the future of the world of speakers? Well, the future is brighter now. Maybe if you'd asked me that question a year ago, maybe I'd have a different answer for you. But (laughs) definitely, it's much brighter now. The world's starting to open up again. And especially if you're as passionate as I am in terms of being a global speaker and traveling to interesting places, hearing new stories, sharing new stories with new audiences, then there's never been a better time to be a speaker. You heard it. There's never a better time to plant a tree than 25 years ago. And the second best time to plant a tree or start your
1: speaking career is today. So use this as an inspiration to stand on the shoulders of giants from whatever stage, whether it's in person and hologram in the metaverse, maybe as an NFT (laughs) or just old school in front of an audience. But whatever you do, remember what my mom said. It only takes one person, Ryan so even if you're just helping to share your message or story with one person you're still speaking because if you speak in public then you are a public speaker it's a scientific fact that you cannot argue either thanks james good stuff we'll see you out there in the metaverse or somewhere
0: thank you ryan can we open the, the 100th episode bottle of champagne now
1: yes i just did (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a lot of fun. And James, thank you again for your support and for all you're doing to spread people's stories. But wait, there's more in celebration of the 100th episode of the world of speakers podcast. I Ryan Folland am going to be tweeting every single episode, starting from episode one, all the way to episode 100. I'm going to be tweeting an episode every single day for a hundred days in a row. So make sure that you follow me on Twitter at Ryan Foland. That's at R-Y-A-N-F-O-L-A-N-D. You can connect and you can get a stream daily of conversations from around the world of speakers who share their thoughts on the art of speaking and let you into the secrets on how they've built their speaking business. And speaking of our guests, I'm going to list them right now. Andreas Banth. Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey, John Bates, Leo Bottery, Brian Fanzo, Jesh Durox, Holly Dowling, Guido Romero, Daniel Mitzenshort, Raphael Gordon, Lauren Pibsworth, Karen Millsap, Jen Guerrero, Doreen Morin Van Dam, Linda Williams, Tiffany Bova, John Lawson, Shakira Brown, Lori Granado, Natalie Forrest, Dr. Nick Morgan, Michelle Tills Letterman, Kim Orleski, Jabez Lebret, Michael Dermer, Tomislav Perko, Leon Lothaganis, Colin Sprake, Jessica Cox, Bob Stromberg, Dory Clark, Igor Chechlova, Cynthia Johnson, Rebecca Radice, Ivan Minster, Teresa de Grospos, Angela Lucier, Neil Patel, Mitch Jackson, Manjo Vasudiam, Lance Miller, Vince Milenio, Sally Corbing Zimney, Cameron Brown. Kathy Armilus, Alyssa Diver, Drew Dudley, Josh Linkner, Greg McEwan, Michael Levy, Susan Izzo, Sam Kelly, King Insalo, Frederick Heron, Darren LaCroix, Laura Silvert, Lou Diamond, Ted Rubin, Shane Barker, Laura Glassner, Ty Bennett, Arthur Joseph, Marie Smith, Mary Drummond, Shep Heiken, Dave Meerman Scott, Tara J. Frank, Ryan Avery, Laura Gilbert, Brian Burkhart, Mitch Jackson, Josh Linkner, Dan Gingis, Shep Hyken, and Mary Drummond, Brian Fanzo, again, Winnie Sun, Samantha Kelly, Charlie Meacham, Vin Gang, Topeka Sam, Dr. Jason Richardson, Dan Gingis, Eric Sim, Todd Palmer, Rachel Grotto, Rebecca Hess, Neil Sahota, Sarah West, Paul Epstein, Lori Schloff, Mitch Jackson, Raj Minha, Eric Sim, and Max Brandsetter, Robert Knopp, Mara Sweeney, Scott Allen and Maria Sanrio Young, Tamson Webster, Jamie Cohen, David Wood, Jeff Butler, and James Taylor. Woo <laughs> I just wanted to get everybody's name in this episode and I look forward to episodes 101 and beyond. Special shout out to Andreas over there at Speaker Hub. If you don't have a profile yet, do us a favor, go grab yourself one. I'll see you on Twitter. I'll be tweeting an episode every day for 100 days. And until then, we will see you in the next World of Speakers episode. 100 in the bag. Adios.